Isaiah 52, 1 through 11 is our Old Testament reading this morning. Isaiah 52, 1 through 11. It's on page 651 in the Pew Bible. This is God's holy word. Let's give it our careful attention now. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore... What have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart. Go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Our New Testament text, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. We just saw there in Isaiah 52, the Lord promising to bring His people back from exile and bring them back into peace, back into the land that He promised to give them, back into this sweet, close fellowship with Himself. Oh, as he is their peace. And now Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now. Lord, we pray that you yourself would speak to us. That you yourself, in your word, by your spirit, would speak to us and save us. Give us faith. Build us up in faith in Christ our Savior. And all that you call us to be, we pray you'd make us. All that we need to learn, we pray that you'd teach us. And all of Christ that we need to see more clearly, please show us for his sake. Amen. Well, Matthew 5, 9 can feel like a very um, appropriate verse, a very timely verse right now. As we look out at the world, peace looks like it's in quite short supply. You can look overseas, you can look at the conflict that's unfolding uh, in other parts of the world. You can see the chaos and the conflict and the, the rubble of cities destroyed and the families that are being split apart. And you can look at our own culture and our own society and, and, and see the, the fracturing of so many things, so many institutions and, and um, the, the, the high temperature debates that we have. 
And peace is in short supply. We look around, we see we need peace. We need uh, people to, to, to give themselves to make peace and to be reconciled with each other. And in that sense, that's how we're understanding Christ's words here, perhaps this beatitude isn't like the others. Right? The other beatitudes come with, a, come with a fair amount of shock value to them. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Those things turn the world's values on their head. What about this one? Right? Jesus and those other Beatitudes seems to be um, challenging our assumptions and, and, and surprising us, shocking us even. But here, maybe this one, blessed are the peacemakers, maybe this is something everyone can get behind. Right? But Jesus isn't really talking here about diplomats or Nobel Peace Prize winners. Right? He's talking about a peace that, yes, it's included in those things, but he's talking about a peace that runs much deeper than politics. And, 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 and uh, he's addressing issues that are older and deeper and more stubborn and more deeply rooted in our hearts. He's, he's getting down to the very roots of every conflict as he speaks about peace here. He's, he's talking about that conflict between holy God and sinful man. Right, that this is our fundamental relationship, who we are before our Maker, and that that relationship has been destroyed and ruptured by our sin. So we're under the wrath of God in ourselves. And this is the place, first of all, where Christ wants to bring peace. He's come as the Christ, the Prince of Peace, to proclaim the gospel of peace, which is be reconciled to God, find peace with God. And now he calls his disciples here, his citizens in his kingdom, come be like your king. I've come to bring peace. You, you come too. You come join me in the work. I'm going to give you my spirit. You come and you as a citizen, you reflect me and, and bringing this peace as well. Proclaiming this same peace. He calls us to be peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? Maybe you think, well, I don't cause that much conflict. Right? Um, I don't get in that many fights. Uh, I'm generally agreeable to get along with. Um, so, perhaps, non-confrontational, that means I'm a peacemaker. But that's not what Christ says, is it, loved ones? That's not what he means. But a peacemaker is not someone who just doesn't, doesn't stir up trouble himself. A peacemaker is someone who makes peace, who takes initiative, takes action, to, to actively go out and pursue peace, and takes a risk even of conflict sometimes to bring peace if it's necessary. And we can't say, well, that's just not my personality. Right? I'm an introvert. That's not what God has called me to, or, or that's, uh, you know, that, that's not what God has, has uh, uh, equipped me for. But loved ones, when we come to the Beatitudes, it's not a buffet of options that we can choose the ones that suit us best. Right? Jesus says, these are the basics of the marks of a citizen of my kingdom, every single one of them. Right? There should be some, some, some of it in your life some mark there that this is in your life. So if you're in Christ, you must be, you will be a peacemaker. Well, let's, uh, let's look now at our first heading, um, at the peace that we need. This is the first thing we should understand. If we're going to be the peacemakers that God is calling us to be, that Christ says citizens in his kingdom are, then the first thing we need to see is the peace we need. We need to understand what kind of peace Jesus is talking about. We've touched on this already. 
in our introduction here. But um, what is peace in the Bible? Right? It's one of those words. We have a lot of ideas of it in our culture and our own upbringing, perhaps. But what does the Bible say peace, peace is? The roots of the idea lie in the Old Testament, of course. Uh, the Hebrew word for peace in the Old Testament is shalom. Many of you are probably familiar with this, that it's not just the absence of conflict that that word means, but it means uh, the, the, the presence of wholeness, prosperity, health, and blessing. Um, it's, it's the fullness of human flourishing. It, it's life under God's smile, life under God's favor. This is the, this is the, uh, the climax of the benediction that God gives to Aaron in, 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 uh, in Numbers 6. He says, place this benediction on the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Give you shalom. Right? May the Lord continue to increase and multiply every good thing to you. May he keep you from all enemies. May he guard you from famine and drought. May he, may he keep you from civil war within your tribes, Israel. May he uh, keep you from plague, keep you from sickness, keep you from family conflict, marriage conflict, conflict with your children. Keep your heart from straying after idols. Keep you in obedience to himself. May he give you peace. Sinclair Ferguson says you can almost translate the word peace as salvation. It's all the good blessings of God's covenant that he promises to give. When there's no conflict between people, no conflict between God and man, no conflict even between man and the natural world. That's the idea of peace in Scripture. It's, it's Eden. It's better than that. Peace is heaven, really. Now, when we hear that, right, that's what Scripture is talking about when it talks about peace. It sounds like, like an impossible ideal, right? Uh, we've just come through a pandemic, this rupture so evident between man and the natural world, right? There's not, there doesn't seem to be peace here, right? Every form of sickness, disease, everything we go through is, is a reminder that we are not at peace in this world. Something is terribly wrong. We're watching a war unfold. Right? Where conflict between man and man, nation and nation. And we look at our own homes. We look at our own neighborhoods. Where is this peace? Where, right? The kids fight. The parents fight. The parents and the kids fight. Neighbors are far apart, not, not, uh, not close with each other. Where is this peace? It's all, it's all coming from, of course, our lack of peace with God himself. Um, in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve turn against God, reject Him, rebel against Him, that relationship is ruptured, and God is at war with man because of man's sin, man's guilt. And um, God curses creation, and this, this is the cause of every, every conflict and every lack of peace, all disorder and pain. This is, this, is, uh, this is the state of our hearts now and the state of our lives now under God's wrath. So, loved ones, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, if that is our condition, right? if, if, if that's what, what we're in, that conflict between God, between each other, and between you know, ourselves and the natural world, how can we bring peace? How, how, can, how can I be a peacemaker if I'm enmeshed in this conflict myself? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm war-torn, as it were, in my own heart, before God, between others, 
how can I be a peacemaker, right? This is what we need to understand here, is that the first, uh, the first thing we need is to be peace receivers before we can be peacemakers. Before I can go and make peace with someone else or call them to make peace with God, I need to receive peace first of all. I need God to make peace with me, reconcile himself to me. I need that to happen, first of all, in an objective sense, right? I need, I, need that, I need for God to take me out from under His wrath, place me under His grace. I need to go to Him, acknowledge my sin, my rebellion. I need to say to Him, Lord, I've sinned against You. Forgive me. Show me Your mercy and, and, and place me under Your blessing and Your grace. That's the way to true peace, right? To get that objective sense of peace. But then we also need not just that objective aspect that God counts us righteous in Christ, makes peace with us, we're reconciled objectively as, a, as an outside-of-us fact, but we also need it inside our own hearts. We need, to, we need to understand this and have this objective response to it that comes of a heart at peace, of a conscience that's clean. Right? We, we need to have peace with God, I'm justified, and also at the same time, we need to have that settle into our hearts. And bring peace to our hearts. I can't go and, and be a peacemaker if my heart is, at, you know, is, 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 is in unrest before the Lord. So we need His peace for ourselves. This can only come from God Himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, if by grace you've been brought into this kingdom of peace that Christ comes proclaiming, if your covenant Lord is the God of peace, right? your King is the Prince of Peace, if He has filled you with peace, then we must go out and be peacemakers. In a sense, we, we inevitably will be those who go and make peace. So let's turn our attention there now. Not only do we need peace, receive it from Christ our King, the Prince of Peace, but we also we need to know what it is to be a peacemaker, as Christ has called us to be. So let's look now at this, our second heading, the peace that we make. Uh, if, if this is what peace is, peace with God because of Christ, flowing out to peace with others, what, is it, what does it mean then for us to go be peacemakers? If we're peace, understanding peace uh, biblically here. Well, it may help us to remember that as Jesus is preaching this sermon, he's making it clear to us we're citizens of his kingdom, He's also calling us not just to be citizens, but ambassadors of his kingdom. Uh, that we're not just citizens who are passive and don't have a part to play, but we're, we're active, we're ambassadors. We're citizens, not in heaven yet, but still in this earth, still in the fallen world. And so we're to be ambassador of, ambassadors of his kingdom. And then part of that duty means being a peacemaker. And that means the first part of being a peacemaker is evangelism, outreach, Witnessing to others. Paul reflects on this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says. God making his appeal through us. Now, of course, Paul's speaking about how he, as an apostle, has been called to be an ambassador for Christ and be a minister of reconciliation. 
But this is something that's also true for, for every Christian. We've been made ambassadors for Christ's sake, not apostles like, like that authoritative eyewitness that Paul was, but nonetheless, witnesses for Christ, peacemakers for Christ. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And this is the first thing we are to do, is to seek to bring men to peace with God. To tell people to be right with Him. To, to tell people the gospel of Christ. Declare the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead. Isaiah 52, 7 talks about, um, talks about this. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. This is what a peacemaker is, according to Isaiah. It's someone who's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Christ. So to be a peacemaker means that you are calling men, women, boys, girls, come find peace in Christ. Come be reconciled to God. Don't don't wait under His wrath. Come find His grace. Levens, are you doing this? It's not just for pastors and elders. Yes, we're to lead in it, but it's for the whole church, for every one of us to seek to be a peacemaker in this sense of proclaiming that Christ has come to bring peace and to tell others to seek God's peace in Christ. When's the last time you spoke to someone about the gospel? When's the last time that, that, you, that you prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody? This is part of the work that we're called to. These are some of the basics of discipleship. These, these aren't the things that are for extraordinary disciples of Christ, but for ordinary ones. Sharing very simply, here's, here's how God has made peace with me in Christ. Here, here's what He's done for me. He sent His Son in love to give me a righteous record and to forgive all my sins, and He can do it for you too. Come to Christ. And to hold that out to people. We're called to do this. second part of our duty, though, as peacemakers is not just this work of evangelism, preaching the gospel of peace, bearing witness to it. It's also to seek peace in the church together to seek unity within Christ's body. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, still living in a fallen and sinful world, still with indwelling sin in our hearts, we're going to see all kinds of need for this. Right? There's going to be plenty of opportunities for reconciliation and peacemaking in the church. Because we're not there yet. We're not, we're not glorified yet. We're going to see the breakdown of relationships, ruptures, and unity. But Jesus calls us to pursue peace together. As Psalm 122 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of the church, the bride of Christ. Jesus wants his church to be one. He doesn't just want an absence of conflict. He wants deep unity among those in his church. We see this in his prayer in John 17. Jesus there Right before his crucifixion, he's praying for his church and praying that they would be one. That they would reflect the unity of the Father and the Son in their unity together. Loved ones, we've all been saved by the same Christ. And we all have the same Spirit of Christ. And we're all in covenant with the same God of peace. And none of us has any more right to be here than any other of us. Right, the person whom we would look at in the church who looks like the most mature, godly, wise Christian has no better standing here than the person who looks like the newest, most immature Christian of all. 
Right? None of us has a right here. We're all here by the grace of God. We're all here in Christ. We must live at peace with each other, in unity with each other, by the grace of God. Paul commands peace among the churches that he writes to. Colossians 3.15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Paul says, let Christ the King rule over your heart with His peace. Let that dominate your heart. And then you go be peaceful with others. Be peaceful together. You've been called to one body. Or Ephesians 4, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Puritan John Owen talks about this verse. He pictures the church as a bundle of firewood that's all different lengths, all these different lengths and shapes and sizes. And the only thing that's going to bind it together and hold it together is the bond of peace. You've got to wrap it around it, round and around it, tie it tight with that bond of peace. That's what the church is. We're all different shapes and sizes. It's only the peace of Christ ruling our hearts that's going to bind us together. Loved ones, are you working eagerly to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace here in our church? Are you working for peace, looking for peace with one another, seeking to bring peace where there's conflict? Right? One of the great hindrances to this is gossip. We're eager to share the latest news or tell people what we've heard about other people, and we're often quick to that. And we're interested to hear that or to share it. But, but are, we, are we much more so? We should be, right? Eager to bring peace. And just to, to stop that. And to bring uh, unity together. Are you, are you quick to overlook a perceived offense against you? Or are you quick to rush to judgment against your brother? Are you quick to assume the worst about your brother and sister in Christ? Do you assume that the other person is really purposely trying to hurt you? Are you courageous enough to go to your brother and sister and to speak with them, take initiative, approach them if you think they have something against you or if you have something against them? Jesus commands this in just a few verses and later on in Matthew 5, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus demands, you take the initiative. If there's a rupture in a relationship, go. Seek them out. Show them grace. Be humble. Take the initiative. Loved ones, is there someone in the church that has something against you? Go. Speak with them. Be reconciled in Christ. Is there someone in the church that you have something against? Can you overlook it in grace and forgive them and resolve to not bring it up again and not hold it against them? If you can't, go. Speak with them. And seek to work it out between the two of you. We are to be a church rich in the peace of Christ, bound together in unity, because we are all here by the grace of God. Not one of us has a place here apart from His grace. Not one of us is better than any other of us. So let's seek peace together because of that. 
Loved ones, these past few years, we've seen more and more fracturing in our society, right, over, over debates, right, COVID and everything else. And it's seeped into the church. We've seen some of it. Let's be peacemakers. Paul, in Galatians 3, says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Whatever else may divide us, even, even important things that, that matter, like being male and female, Paul says, that is not as fundamental as who you are in Christ. The gospel doesn't erase these distinctions, right? But it transcends them. And it makes us one in Christ. So whatever our difference is in these other things, we are one body in our Lord Jesus Christ. Seek peace. Seek peace. Go humbly, go gently, go patiently. Speak the truth in love. Uh, it might take a long time to rebuild relationships that have been broken. But bear with it. Stick with it. Bear with one another in love. The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself to be reconciled to us. Suffered much to do so. Let's, let us do the same. This is what we're called to. Peacemaking as evangelism, peacemaking as unity in the church of Christ. But as Jesus promises us this, he also, uh, as, he, as he calls us to this, he also gives us a promise to hold on to as we do the work of peacemaking. And that is the promise that we will be called sons of God. This is our third heading, the promise that we hold. Jesus tells us here why it's worth it to be a peacemaker. We might look at this and say, that's, that's costly. That's going to hurt. That's going to be awkward. That's going to be, that's gonna be uh, just difficult. And I would rather do something different. Um, but Jesus says, it's worth it. This is the good life, bringing peace like this. This is the blessed life. This is the life that God favors. And the reward of this, the promise that he gives, is that you'll be called a son of God. By being a peacemaker, being called a son of God, right? That's you're you're called a son of God for being a peacemaker because you share the family resemblance. God's the peacemaker, par excellence. Christ Himself, the Prince of Peace. So, if we're peacemakers, we're called sons of God because because we look like Him. The apple didn't fall far from the tree, right? We bear the family traits, bear the family characteristics. It'll be a dead giveaway. We're part of His family. If we're living like this, people will notice. They'll say, look, she's acting just like her Heavenly Father. She's, she's a child of God. But Jesus is not just saying that we'll be recognized by the family likeness to the peacemaker, God, but also he's saying that God himself will call us sons. God himself will, 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 will name us as his children. Promises us here that, that we'll be part of his family, that, that we'll belong to him and have him as a Heavenly Father. And that is the highest privilege in the world. I say that without exaggeration or hyperbole. To be a child of God, a son of God, is the highest privilege in the world. To have Him as your Father. This is what God made man to be. He made Adam to be this. Luke 3.38 calls Adam the son of God. God calls Israel to be His son. Exodus 4.22 Israel is my firstborn son. 
because Christ, Jesus Christ, second Adam, true Israel, his true son, Matthew 3.17, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then he says to those in Christ, made new in Christ, he says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased because of Christ. He adopts us into his family. And, and that means that he is, he, he is our, our heavenly father. One of him says he's the perfect father with perfect love. He loves us with an everlasting love. He will never abandon us. He is a father who will never abuse us or exasperate us or neglect us or be too busy for us. He's the Father who lavishes us with all good things to enjoy. He, he cares for us. He's patient with us. He's gentle with us. He understands us. He doesn't neglect us. He protects us with perfect strength. He's our almighty Father. He, he, he gives us everything good to enjoy. And, and He says to us, all that I have is yours. And He gives us this rich inheritance, right? Everlasting life, new creation. It's all yours as a son. Everything that we said earlier, right? We were talking about what peace is in the Old Testament. Shalom, salvation, fullness of God's covenant blessing. Freedom from every danger and every threat. Free to enjoy God, sinless in the, in, in, in the promised land there. That is all picturing for us. The heavenly reward, the promised land of, of heaven that is for God's children. As His sons, we're going to be brought into the new heavens and new earth and inherit a kingdom of perfect peace where the Prince of Peace reigns. This promise is only for those who are sons of God. Jesus brings this out in His words to John in Revelation 21. As, as, as John speaks, as John writes there, Jesus' words, Jesus is speaking about the coming kingdom of peace. And at the end of it, He says, this is for those who are sons of God. Listen to this um, from Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. Jesus is painting a picture there. Promising us peace, perfect peace, where he reigns. And he says, this is for those who are my sons, who've been adopted by my grace. Loved ones, this is the peace we are waiting for. Right, that's the kingdom of heaven in all its fullness. That's the peace that's coming. So hang on to it. Hold on to that promise. And in the meantime, in this fallen, conflict-filled world, go make peace. Go preach the gospel of Christ. Go make peace with one another. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you've made peace with us in Christ, your Son. Thank you that you've 
given us this glorious promise that you are our Father, we are your children, and we look forward to this day when you will make all things new and bring about perfect peace. And until then, Lord, strengthen us by your grace to follow after our Lord Jesus Christ and to be peacemakers. We ask this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and respond together. Number 442.